In a world of downloadable streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. The Sound Effect is a podcast where we look at an overlooked or obscure album that had an effect on a band or a musician. Sometimes that effect is obvious, but more often than not, you will be as surprised as us. We are your hosts, Dave Meehan. And I'm Tom O'Connor. If it's all in your mind, it's all in your mind, and I want it to be, I want it to be. September 24, 2002, Beck's Sea Change is released. Uh, a kind of timely title in that this is Beck kind of making a transformation or a, or a sea change, if you will. Uh, recorded in Los Angeles with Nigel Godridge, who, um, who was coming off uh, Radiohead. Uh, recorded with the same band uh, as the Midnight Vultures and uh, was just an astoundingly critically acclaimed album that really, to be perfectly honest, I knew about and I knew people loved it, but for one reason or another, it was, it was in my blind spot. Yeah. Same here. This was one where, you know, I wasn't, we've talked about this before. I am, I wasn't a fan of mellow gold. I still don't like loser. Uh, that, that album didn't really do much for me. I, it seemed like, a like a caricature album or a joke album, really, you know, it's just, it, it's like, yeah, yeah, this guy's one off and then he's gone. Right. And, and then he came back with Odelay and which was, a, is a fantastic, it's a classic album. Right. And so I came in for that and it was, you know, just, it was a, it was, it was a fantastic album and enjoyable. And then I just left and it wasn't that like, I heard this album and stopped liking them. I just left back. And so for the three albums that became, that came between, Odele and uh, uh, Guero. These were his, his kind of uh, experimentation, experimental albums. So, and I just, they just went right by me. Didn't even know they were there. Came back with Guero and, uh, and then didn't, didn't, uh, you know, even investigate this when I started to hear it, when I knew about these albums. I didn't go check out Sea Change. Uh, I, I heard people talking about Mutations, that it was a fantastic album too. Uh, but just did not go back into it. And, you know, and as the whole point of this show is for us to kind of explore and hopefully enjoy these albums, I'm going to say this album still isn't for me. Uh, I can appreciate what Beck's doing. Like he's, he's this guy 
who needed to try something different, maybe try something a little more melodic, more, you know, working with a, a different producer, different band, uh, different guys. And, and, you know, this is what he came up with. And I, and I feel like this is an album that he needed to do. And fair enough. You got to let an artist do what he does. It's just not for me. So I don't know. What were your th- feelings? Well, I uh, I was kind of similar to you. Like I, I enjoyed Loser. I thought it was a catchy catchy number. Honestly, I thought, uh, well, that was fun. We'll never hear from him again. And kind of thought, <laughs> I really kind of thought back. You know, you think by the time you're in your in your early twenties, you can sense a one hit wonder, right? And I really did think, oh, this is a guy we'll never ever hear from again. And he'll uh, in twenty years from now, he'll be on some compilation album. Like they still make those. And I would say, you know, wow, hey, there's that guy. I remember that song way back then. I didn't know he's probably going to become like one of the most definitive artists of, of the generation, right? Um, and I, you know, I must admit, Odelay for me was kind of the songs I heard off it were an extension of that sort of. Um, you know, uh, leaf the leaf blower performance artist guy. Uh, but when I went back and listened to Sea Change this time around, um, and and a pre, I I really I was the opposite of you. I did quite appreciate it uh, because I I actually thought, and it's interesting. I I think probably a lot of people with this album either had your take, which is wait a second, this is. <laughs> This is not back. What is this? This is not Odelay. And then other people were probably more like, yeah, that guy with the shtick is kind of done. And I kind of like where this version of Beck is showing up. I I think it was um, uh, Spin Magazine. David uh, Marchese at Spin said, Sea Change showed me what Beck is capable of. And I can't help but think that's how I maybe would have felt had I listened to it. I certainly look back at it now and, and I see that because it's in the wheelhouse with a lot of the stuff that I like now, uh, where, you know, that Dylan-esque singer-songwriter yep. thing uh, and and certainly some Nick Drake there. But, um, yeah, so I'm actually, I, I actually really enjoyed revisiting this record because, to be perfectly honest, I, I, did, I paid it no attention whatsoever when it came out in 2002. Yeah, and, you know, you... you Say, give those accolades like you know this is the best thing this is showing you what he's capable of nothing makes me happier to see an artist who i respect get that kind of even if i'm not really into the music he's making but like people are saying like this is so different and and beautiful and he's showing he's showing his chops he's showing real chops on on making this album so yeah even though it 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 didn't hit me at the time and still really doesn't hit me like nothing makes me happier to, 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 to see the evolution of a musician, of an artist. Right. And you say, you know, he tried these three albums, which were totally different than what he did before. And I would say are totally are are different than what he did after, but those three albums are what helped, uh, make him the artist he became after. Oh, agreed. And I, I think you're quite right. I mean, I, as much as you can't always like every single thing an artist did, I think you could certainly say, wow, I, I appreciate that they've done that. Right. Like I think of, you know, if you look at any artist who's tried something new, whether it's David Bowie, um, uh, you know, 
even arcade fire to a certain extent, right? I mean, you can look back at these bands and, and think, wow, like, good for you. That might have been a hiccup. That might have been a bump in the road. Or it might have not hit me. But this album hit a ton of other people to the fact that it's now uh, by a lot of people considered to be his his best work. But by, by it, it's funny again though I find equally as many articles saying it's his, it's their least favorite Beck album online. Right. So I think there is a I think it's probably a divisive album, and I think the record company saw that coming. Right. From what I read, the record company had sort of said they they finished recording it. They got it to the record company. The record company were in support of it, which I think is kind of amazing given how, what a, what a departure it was from Odelay. And yet it was actually the record stores who said, Ooh, this is going to be a hard one to sell. Um, which, but again, uh, you know, they must've seen something in Beck, right? They must've seen that, Hey, we've got to let him do this record and let's let him do it. I mean, when you consider it around the same time as this, uh, I mean, Wilco can't get Yankee Hotel, Hotel Foxtrot released because it's considered, you know, unsellable. Um, and, you know, I might listen to this record and think this is more unsellable than than Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Right. So it's, a, it's odd that the record company was so in support of the record, even though it was such a departure. It just depends on who your management is, who you are, and timing too, right? It, it is weird though. This is 2002. Like uh, the labels have figured out, you know, it's no longer, oh my God, let's just sign everyone, throw it against the wall and whatever happens. Like we'll give them five albums and see what happens, right? That was like early 90s stuff. That's how so many bands got signed because really the labels had no idea what was going on with this new alternative sound. Mm-hmm. And they didn't like after Nirvana was just this big explosion, right? And uh, so by they'd kind of settled down and they were figuring out, okay, there's a formula, you know, new metal had kind of kicked into gear uh, for better or for worse. And, <laughs> and so it was, yeah, for uh, worse, Dave, yeah, for uh, worse. For let's, worse. Be. <laughs> let's be, let's be honest, for worse. Um, so yeah, so early in the new in the new millennium too, um, you've got this artist who yeah like you say this could have been like on big shiny tunes 90 96 right uh with <laughs> with uh loser and that's it and that would have been his yeah. one thing but uh, here he is you know after a massive album comes out with this this beautiful sounding and, and you know i would like i say i would say experimental and uh the label is fine with it whereas You've, how many stories have you heard where, where an artist shows up and says, this is what I got? And they're like, yeah, no. Yeah, there's not a single on this, you know, right? Yeah. Like, uh, everybody, everybody's, like, you've heard that from like when Prince did it, Nine Inch Nails yeah. did it. Like, it's, everybody has Well, and you story. listen, you listen to this record and, and, and there's not a glaring single on it, right? No. Like, you look at the songs that were released <laughs> and you're like, they're great, but I wouldn't necessarily think, as I, if I'm the record company listing, I'm going, oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, which, is, is that, which is Or is it just, well, that's the best one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange. But you, you hinted at something, I used the word sound, and, and I think that is... Probably for me, the thing that stood out, and I know that you're usually the, the guy who notices production a little bit more than I do, uh, but for me, 
there's a whole pile of really great stuff going on with the sound of this record. Um, first off, I love the simplicity of songs. Uh, my friend Brent once talked about um, being a fan of the Flaming Lips. And one of the things he said about the Flaming Lips is what he loves about them is you take away all the experimentation, all the over-the-top stuff, and it's just a guy playing a really simple song uh, on guitar. And I think here you have a real simpleness with a lot of like open chord progressions and and stuff like that that make it a, just a really simple record to just just to listen to. But then there's this um, the the sound of the production in the room. I mean, there, I don't think it's I don't think it's a coincidence that this is sort of the album where Beck turns a little bit, so he keeps his foot in that experimental dance dance guy thing but he also puts his foot into this sort of like california laurel canyon vibe that oh, that shows up good, in yeah. that that yeah. shows up in um in some of the documentaries he's been part of in the last couple of years right and you even look at like his band on this record um which when i was reading about you know like, oftentimes i think the session musicians are oftentimes the guys we don't talk about right we did it um we did it on our last episode with Danny Michelle, where we 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 kind of got through that whole episode and didn't talk a lot about uh, about uh, some of the session players on that album. And it's the right. same here. I mean, we have someone like Smokey Hormel who um, will went who will play with Tom Waits on Mule Variations just a couple of years before this. Um, you have Roger uh, Joseph Manning Jr. from Jellyfish, one of the guys who started Jellyfish, uh, uh, which is a band that really epitomized that sort of California sound, like they sounded like the rebirth of the Beach Boys. Um, and then you have, you know, someone like um, uh, Joey uh, Waronker um, from Walt Mink, who also has that sort of California vibe to him, but has worked with like everyone from Tom York to The Who and Paul McCartney. Um, and then you have like a legendary drummer who played with Mar- uh, Martha Reeves and Quincy Jones in James Gadson. So this band is just a spectacular <clears throat> yeah. collection of amazing session players, which just gives this these really easy songs that you can almost hear them writing in an apartment, heartbrokenly in an apartment, gives it a real feel to the rest of the record. Tears that I'm crying 
I was guess I'm doing fine. So you were mentioning uh, the musicians that were part of the recording process. Another one that's in there, Justin Mel Johnson, who played bass. Uh, he's kind of close to my heart. He's probably in he, in he's in my favorite iteration of Nine Inch Nails. Uh, he was with them from uh, I think it was like oh six oh six to twenty ten, and. Uh, Two of my favorite albums by Nine Inch Nails uh, that he was part of, and he's currently uh, touring around. If you if you watched uh, Saturday Night Live two or three weeks ago, he was playing with St. Vincent. So busy guy, well sought after, multi instrumentalist. Uh, so pretty cool when that sort of thing shows up too. Yeah, and he yeah, and he and um, and another weird addition to the band here is Beck's dad who. If you want to see a resume and a half, uh, <laughs> look up David Campbell, who is Beck's father, Toronto-born, um, and his credentials uh, just mesmerizing. Uh, my daughter suddenly was taken in because uh, the word Harry Styles. Uh, he 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 did the strings of Raymond <laughs> on on Fine Line by Harry Styles most recently. But this guy's been been making string arrangements for years, so his beautiful string arrangements are on this record as well. Uh, which is just adds to this amazing collection of musicians. That I think 
Yeah, I, I, I think just add a beautiful layer. And are also they're smart enough to, to pull back and let the, the lyrics, like Beck's confessional lyrics, they, they step back and let those become kind of the star of the album. Yeah, well, someone like you mentioned, James Gadsden, a drummer of that uh, pedigree, where like just working with Quincy Jones alone, you better know your stuff, and so he knows what to do when he when he hears what an artist is doing. He knows where to put those drums or where not to put those drums, and that's uh, <clears throat> yeah. So that's kind of cool that Beck is pulling in that history as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know I talked about it last week, and I, and I don't necessarily want to make it a theme because I'm sure not every single album we look at is going to have a, a really interesting cover. This is Tom's <laughs> Hour of Death. <laughs> but I really love the album cover, so it got me looking. I was like, oh, what's the album cover about? Who, who made this? Because there were four different covers uh, with all a similar uh, kind of artistic style. And the guy behind this, Jeremy Blake. Uh, and I found this out. Jeremy Blake... Uh, Sort of a, a really interesting eclectic artist who uh, j- died himself. Body was found by fishermen in the waters off of New Jersey, uh, July twenty second, two thousand and seven. Just a couple of weeks after the death of his wife, um, also I, I believe from suicide, if I'm not mistaken. But the fascinating story is him and his wife had apparently been talking to people uh, and reporting that Scientologists were stalking them. Um, so it's just a fascinating uh, connection there to this album cover, too, that just, which in the video for Lost Cause, they end up blowing up, if you've watched the video for Lost Cause, which is a really, really intriguing sort of slow-motion video. Uh, the the cover of the album is sort of almost like in a weird pinata type thing and it blows up in the video it's a strange strange video um but yeah just some really interesting uh, artistic connections here and you really have to think with with this artist on board the video artist who did some of the videos beck himself here as an artist and all of these amazing musicians. This really seems to be an artist's record like it's absolutely and, and you absolutely yeah. And you and you you can't help but wonder if that is maybe the connection. Like you used the word experimental earlier, and you know I think a lot of people would listen to this and go, "It's not experimental." But really, when you listen to this record and you compare it, let's say, to everything else he's done, it is experimental because it's different from what uh, had sort of paid the bills and was proving successful for him, right? <clears throat> yeah. Well, you brought up Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Same idea, right? Like it, it was, uh, it was uh, Jeff Tweedy. He needed to do something different. He had these sounds in his head and he just, and everyone, so you had some people saying, well, this is unlistenable. You know, other, the label saying there's no hits here and him saying, but this is my art and this is, this is where I'm at right now. And I'd say this is what Beck was saying as well. Yeah, and I think you see the influence of both of those albums, uh, and I've certainly read this in, in preparing for this uh, episode. Uh, you certainly see the influence of those two records on, um, on I would say, music in the next you know, 15, 20 years. If you think about how we felt about the acoustic guitar in the early 90s, we have really yeah. embraced that sound in the last, say, 15, 20 years, right? Yeah, for sure. I'll take this moment to announce that we're changing the sound effect to a true crime podcast now because you brought up uh, 
you brought up the dead and Scientology. Like, that's God, right, Tom, that's right. Like, I, I feel, I feel that's, that's where we should be going here. That's true crime. That's true a, crime behind records, record albums. Could we come up with, could we come up with something there? There's gotta be some, gotta be something that led up on two album. But anyhow, um, <laughs> I digress. I digress. Sorry eyes I cut through bone make it hard to leave you alone leave you here wearing new wounds waving your gun somebody new Baby, you're lost. Baby, you're lost. Baby, you're lost. Because there's too many people you used to know. They see you coming. They see you go. Know your secrets You know this This town is crazy Nobody cares Baby, you're lost Baby, you're lost Baby, you're lost Tired of fighting, I'm tired of fighting, fighting for a lost cause. There's a place we are going, you ain't never. That what you thought love was for Baby, you're lost Baby, you're lost Baby, you're lost Tired of fighting, I'm tired of fighting, fighting for a lost Zune is a musical moniker for Hamilton's Daniel Monkman. Uh, born in Selkirk, Manitoba, and raised in Broken Head, Ojibwe Nation, uh, Monkman saw the horrors of Canadian racism every day. Uh, this sadly led to him uh, 
uh, fighting with alcohol and drug use. However, Monkman has found solace in the self-proclaimed moccasin gaze, which is this sort of combination of 90s shoegaze and his sort of more traditional uh, First Nations music. Uh, his debut album, Bleached Waves, was one of my absolute favorite records from last year. It, it's just a sonic wall of sound, and I absolutely love the record. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Uh, and it's really cool to think, I know you're a production guy, Dave, so you'll like this, but uh, recorded this album in his bedroom in his jam space. Uh, he had just been robbed while, while making uh, the album, so he was stuck with recording with a Fender DeVille guitar and a Digitech delay pedal. Um, it is my pleasure to welcome Zune, uh, Daniel Monkbin, to uh, The Sound Effect. Thank you. Thank you, Tom and Dave, for having me. Uh, so I think the first thing I want to talk about is there's been a lot of talk about your your style of music. And, and, and I love the fact that you've come up, and, and I don't know if it's you who came up with it or someone else has come up with this term, moccasin gaze, which I just think is fantastic because it really does imply your two major influences on the record, right? That, that shoegaze that I hear and, uh, and like the, that my bloody Valentine, or I'm a big swerve driver fan. So I oh, hear yes. a lot of swerve driver there, but then there's also that first nations sound that I think really comes in for me on a, on a track like was and always will be, uh, with that amazing drum in the background. Can you walk us through this what I got to say is a pretty original <laughs> combination here of influences. How walk us through those influences. Yeah. So, um, like, uh, I've been doing this kind of style for a really long time. Um, actually, a record that I put out 10 years ago is having its 10-year anniversary, like, reissue in, in just a, um, a few months. It's going to be put on to, um, we're, we're, we're reprinting Bleached Waves, but adding on this EP that I wrote 10 years ago with Woven Records. And back then, um, we were just calling it, like, Indigenous Shoegaze. No, I never wanted to, like, embrace... Uh, my culture back then i just kind of wanted to make um you know like a good shoegaze record like because i just didn't hear anyone putting out like uh, that kind of traditional og shoegaze style and but when i signed with paper or woven records they were like oh we should really like try to you know push that your first nations and so so like if you go on the internet you can find this record still up there and um but it wasn't until so I stepped away in 2010 and I was on my healing journey and going through the motions. And, and then I started seeing like bands popping up that were like, Whoopso, Nihaya Walk, and, you know, other bands who were kind of in, starting to show like shoegaze elements. But still, like, I knew that um, their kind of shoegaze was not that I was going to be putting out. Um, and then, yeah, somewhere along the line, I, uh, somewhere on a tour, someone was like, oh, you're doing moccasin gaze. And um, I was like, oh, I never heard of that before. And um, yeah, and then, and then um, yeah, and then I put my record out and then everyone started calling it moccasin gaze. So it was like a, it was a combination of just like something that I had already done, but I just never put a word to it or I came up with like a, a subgenre for it. And, um, and then finally someone hearing it and being like, oh, this is what other First Nations people are doing right now. Um, so it was, it was um, it's pretty interesting how that all worked out. Well, it must feel pretty and, good to, to come into that going, well, this is what I've already been doing. And, yeah. And now, you know, and now someone, you know, and this has gone back for decades now, and somebody always has to put a, a label on it, right? 
And, exactly. And yeah. for most of the artists that were the ones that started, they're like, whatever, call me whatever you want, but this is my music. And exactly. so that must be a good feeling. Yeah, it's totally, it's kind of like, probably like Kevin Shields with Shoegaze, where he was just like, oh, like, I just want to make experimental music, but then, you know, film, or music critics will be like, oh, no, it's Shoegaze. And so it's kind of like that, you know, I consider myself more as like a, an experimental artist because, you know, this next record that I'm working on is like, um, um, it's more acustural stuff, but still kind of that moccasin gaze style. But definitely for this record, um, when I was making it, I, I just, I, I always, um, I always enjoyed the hypnotic elements of First Nations music. You know, just like the, the drum always hitting and then the chanting coming, and it doesn't really change tempos all that much. It's just kind of like a, a, a forward steady beat. And it puts you into a trance. So I knew when I was making this record that I wanted to do something just like that. But I wanted to com com like um, combine that OG shoegaze um, sound from my Bloody Valentine records. And I just kind of looked around and I didn't see a whole lot of uh, new artists doing that. Everyone just kind of put a little bit of reverb on the guitar and they would call it shoegaze. And for me, I just thought that was too easy. So I wanted to like combine both of the, the things that I love and try to make something, I guess, somewhat new. Not really new, new, but um, uh, new to some people, you know, because I've been kind of doing this stuff for a while, but I just, I stepped away for almost 10 years. And um, yeah, so so those two combinations, it's just um, something that I've always been doing, but hadn't done in a while. And it's just, it's nice that uh, shoegaze music is kind of being revived again and I, it was just like perfect timing and now everybody kind of can recognize that it's a that it is something new well, I guess. For, for me i feel like now i gotta go back and listen to like my bloody valentine i just like psh, scooted right over that and <laughs> i remember reading about shoegaze and i'm like what is this but you know i just kept going on my own path and now it's yeah, the yeah. bands like you that are like rediscovering it and reintroducing it with a new vibe and you're all yeah. uh, commenting on, well, this, yeah, this band, My Bloody Valentine, Kevin Shields, whatever. And so now I feel, well, I guess I got to go back and listen to all that. Now. <laughs> well, and it's, and yeah. I'm just noticing, I mean, you used a couple of really cool things. That the idea of hypnotizing with First Nations is all, with music is also the hypnotizing element to shoegaze, right? No, like no one's listening to shoegaze so they can boogie down with them bad songs, right? Out. They're listening to shoegaze to, to have that hypnotizing element, right? And, exactly, yeah. you know, what I, I still remember seeing Swerve Driver and sitting there with my eyes shut, just kind of taking it in. I didn't care so much about the show necessarily, right? Uh, so it's interesting you're bringing that 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 hypnotizing element from from both uh, styles. To totally both, because yeah, exactly. With like, um, especially on uh, Loveless, like um, to hear knows when, like that song's pretty repetitive, but it's just like. Um, is very hypnotic and i think that's what that's that's the element of shoegaze that really um um that i really latched on to so when i started making this record that you know and and to be honest like it it wasn't even supposed to be like a shoegaze record it was uh if you if you took away if you had all the tracks in front of you and you were able to take out some of most of the tracks um most of the stem tracks you would come to just like the bare minimum was just like an acoustic guitar. And that's how it was supposed to be like um, bleached waves was just an acoustic song. And it's just like an easy st standard E tuning. And 
and same with like Light Prism and Help Me Understand was just an acoustic song. But then uh, I moved to London, Ontario, and I didn't have much people to play with. So I invested in myself in this little drum machine that uh, allowed you to record eight tracks on it. And when I moved to Hamilton, Ontario, I started to like um, bring out these acoustic songs. And just one evening when I was sitting at my rehearsal space, I learned about um, the 80s, the 80s um, drum patterns within the drum machine. I hadn't discovered them yet. It just like clicked. And all of a sudden I started hearing like this like kind of um, dancey. Um, Classic yeah, 808 tri- beats. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just, I, it, it would just like, it happened within maybe two hours where like I, I recorded a rough version of Broken Head. And I was like, holy crap, I can, I can. I can use this these drum patterns and build like I don't know maybe a shoegaze record and then literally that's the next week is when I started um, layering all the louder guitars over top of everything. But originally it was supposed to be I was like trying to make like a Nick Drake record, and um, and that's what I really wanted to do, and um, that's what I'm doing now. But um, but yeah, that's kind of how it all came together and. I'm I'm really surprised and I'm so grateful that it went that way. Well, it's interesting so, you're talking about layers, and here's where I want to ask: Where does sea change come into this? Because uh, Tom and I already talked about this, but I kind of with Beck, I was like not a Mellow Gold fan. Got into Odelay, <laughs> yep, and then just kind of left them till about Guero. So those oh. three kind of more experimental and uh, you know, self, uh, you know, he was doing like a self search. He was, you know, he's doing his own, uh, trying something different as an artist. I totally skipped those came in, came back in with Guero and, you know, when you mentioned sea change, so I listened to it and I'm still not hearing it. <laughs> where, <laughs> where is this showing up on bleached waves? Cause I, you know, you, you talk yeah, about yeah. this being more acoustic, but I hear a lot more layers you know, there's yeah. there's actually I hear a little more rocking, too. Uh, you know, yeah. as well. It's a, I, um, I find it a little heavier. So, you know, does sea change come into that, or is it like where's the vibe coming from sea change? Yeah. So so sea change was just um, like if you listen to a song, I guess I had sent it uh, um, round the bend. Round the bend is an uh, an open tuning. And all Kevin Shields and My Bloody Valentine songs are all in open tunings. And um, when you get when you get into those open tunings, it's that's where you can get really into the hypnotic um, trance kind of riffs. And when I, whenever I listen to Sea Change, it's all about like the emotions that um, because it was a breakup album, and and Bleach Waves is basically like a breakup album, but not with a person, but you know, kind of within yourself. And and that's the aspect that I loved about it. And and Niall Goodrich is or Godrich is um, his production on it is like amazing. And 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 that's kind of how I approached Bleach Waves too. It was just kind of like it was it was it was not not everything was planned. It was just kind of like a lot of improvisation. And and that's how it was for Beck on that record. They would just go into the studio. They would mess around with like some chords and kind of build from them. And you'd and mentioned, uh, you've mentioned uh, Nick Drake there, uh, and 
I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I'm a huge Nick Drake fan. Um, and I mean, it's all over sea change. I mean, from uh, having a song called Saturday sun, yeah, uh, exactly. just immediately jumps out at you. Um, it's obvious on something like already dead. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like you mentioned with round the bend, like I, I said to Dave, like, the, the Drake family could have almost sued him for that. I mean, it's yeah. so painstakingly obvious yeah. uh, that he's really picking at Nick Drake there. And, it, and it, you know what? And it's funny. You have mentioned this idea of that hypnotizing sense of music and, and open tuning. Um, it is funny. Oftentimes it, it's one of those records that I walk, I, I live near a forest and I'll go walking through that forest and Nick Drake's the soundtrack to that because of that hypnotizing factor. Yeah. So, is that and you said you're working on sort of a Nick Drake style record there? Is that again because of that hypnotizing element to his sound? Yeah, well, the thing is, like, that's why I'm, I don't really listen to shoegaze music either. Like, I just listen to My Bloody Valentine, I don't really listen to Slow Dive or any other artist. Like, Apple Music, when I put Bleached Ways out, they're like, oh, make us like a shoegaze record or make us a shoegaze playlist to put on Apple Music. And I told my manager, I was like, I don't really know much about shoegaze music. I just, um, I listen to My Bloody Valentine. And when you listen to My Bloody Valentine, it's not always like, um, so to say, like a rock record. You know, like um, if you listen to even MBV, like the, the new one that they just started streaming, there's some like really weird experimental songs on there. And if you listen to the track that I put out, Bleached Waves, it's a very experimental song. Like near, it starts off as an acoustic song with some distorted guitar, but then it quickly morphs into an experimental outro with like a little bit of keyboards and some seagull noises and some beach waves. And, and, you know, and, and it's just funny how, um, you know, you add in some, obviously there is some like um, shoegaze elements to it, but, but when you listen to it, like, it's not really like a shoegaze record. Like um, the only track that I can think that is actually like a shoegaze record is maybe Vibrant Colors and um, and uh, one of the tracks near the end. I, I can't remember the name of it actually. <laughs> um, well, can, can you expand on this idea that it's a breakup album with yourself? That's that's a compelling. Can Can you expand on that? Yeah, it's it's like. Um, because as mentioned before, I went through a lot of treatment centers and not, not a whole lot of treatment centers, but I went through a lot of different therapies. I've been to two different treatment centers for, uh, for addictions and, um, and also like anger management and stuff. So this, this record, when I say it's kind of like a breakup album with yourself, it's like you're kind of like I, the person that I was going into the treatment center isn't the person who necessarily came out of the treatment center. It was, I had kind of... Um, found a new way to live and part of my um, part of my aftercare program was was to kind of let things go and when I was writing bleached waves it, it was kind of like uh, it was like I was letting I was writing all the stuff that had happened and all you know throughout the 10 years leading up to putting the record out and I had put it down all on paper and into the music and I was kind of like letting it letting it all go um you know metaphorically and um so yeah that's what it meant it's like a kind of breakup of like this past person who was like kind of like you know a prisoner to myself almost and and having that release of putting the bleach waves out and talking about it was um cathartic 
Well, and it's it, it's cool to think all the things that you've talked about here. Uh, uh, Nick Drake, uh, Kevin Shields, you, yourself and your album here, Sea Change. All of these albums are are experimental, and that's that's the weird thing about listening to this um, to to Sea Change and really thinking, yeah, this doesn't sound like an experimental album. In many ways, it sounds like a very traditional record, yep. but it's not a traditional record for Beck, right? <laughs> for Beck, it's a really quite an experimental record, right? Exactly. So, yeah. And you can you can hear some of the Nick Drake influences coming out because I didn't have like a access to a, an orchestra or anything. So like tracks like um, um, a perfect sunset ahead is is basically like a, like a little pocket symphony that I created with just like guitar loops that I reversed and it creates like a, a symphonic um, little piece of music and it's only a minute long, you know, like. Like I've never. That's heard actually one of the. That's actually one of the tracks I really like. Probably my favorite. It's just so short. <laughs> yeah, you but know, and that. it's. Yeah, you know, and like if you listen to any other shoegaze records, they're always just the same drums, uh, soft singing vocals with the guitars, and like it's just like that song over and over and over again throughout the whole record. You won't ever hear like breaks, and um, and that's just that was like that's why I liked um, Nick Drake and and um sea change you know just for like experimental parts that that's what that's what i brought into the the record that i that i made you talked about your journey and uh you know dealing with what you had to deal with was sea change you know kind of the soundtrack to that at the time too i always people always talk about their favorite music their favorite band you know it's because they came to them at a certain time in their life uh, yeah. you know, the average person, I'd say it's because you hit your, your musical stride at like 16 to 19 or whatever. And the bands <laughs> yeah, you love yeah. there are the bands you're always going to like, but other people are, no, this, this band meant something to me at this time in my life. Was Sea Change it's, that type of album too? Yeah. Like, um, I was, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I'm a big, uh, Mellow Gold fan. You were saying that she didn't really listen to Mellow Gold. <laughs> um, but when I was living in my small town, like there was only 10,000 people there and most of them I didn't see. And so like, um, I just remember walking to a thrift store and finding Mellow Gold, the CD for like 25 cents and I took it home and I fell in love with it. Cause I was like, oh, now I, I know I can be like a musician. I can be an ex like, I can be a songwriter. Cause up until that point, I thought I had to be classically trained. I thought I had to be in band class and like go through the steps of like getting a degree in music or something like that. And I was I was I was like totally under the influence that that that's what what had to happen because my mom kept being like well you need to make money off of it, and so when I listened to Mellow Gold I was like oh shit like I can do this too like I can make weird music just like this with no actual like training of how to structure a song. Well, that that's that's interesting you say that. So, you know Beck, again it was he he was probably the catalyst for a thousand bands and a thousand artists to be launched right just like the beatles yeah. the sex pistols like the sex pistols showed wow these guys can barely play their instruments but look at them they're just up yeah. doing the thing right and exactly. so yeah beck can sh showed people like you don't even need a band no just give me a good drum machine a good guitar and away we go <laughs> yeah yeah and um but yeah most of the mellow gold is like you know pretty garbage too you know but like <laughs> well but like there, there's elements of it that um really pop up in my music too like broken head is like um the drum machine and just kind of the vibe of it is you know 
you can hear it throughout Mellow Gold if you listen. And yeah, I think that's just like how I always approach music. You know, a lot of shoegaze bands that I listen to, you know, or that I know of, like the people in like Toronto, like sorry, the bands that I know, um, not like famous bands or anything, just like local bands. They, um, you can just tell that they wear their influences like on their sleeves, and and um, and so I just knew I just knew as at a young age that. Um, that I just wanted to listen to a few bands and that's it because I knew that if I listened to a whole lot of bands it would just contaminate my 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 you know my songwriting and you know so I just listened to Brian Wilson um Beck My Bloody Valentine and Nick Drake and that was kind of just like my that's what I always just listened to and um I know each of those artists only one of them put out a whole lot of records but um um but yeah, I guess it kind of just like shows up on my record. If you like, if you knew me, like I know myself, I can I can just pinpoint all the different parts. You know, like um, like if you listen to Purple Bottle by Animal Collective, it sounds you know basically like Bleached Waves, that song. And <laughs> but but no one will think that. No one will think that because you know it's it's been marked as like a shoegaze record. But um, but it's very just experimental. And so. Your favorite song you've mentioned is is uh, is around the bend. Yeah, uh, I would, on I would say. I would so, say why, so why why so? What 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 do you love about it? Yeah, so as I was saying, like I had a friend who introduced me to Nick Drake, and and I absolutely love Nick Drake, but I wanted to find someone who is like a little bit more contemporary, like a newer artist. And and at the time, I guess Beck's Sea Change had just come out. And, but I was still too young to kind of really understand uh, who Beck was. And, and um, this was before I even um, bought the Mellow Gold record. Um, oh, no, no, I bought the Mellow Gold record. I loved Beck, but then I didn't hear about Sea Chains come out. And then a friend of mine was just like, oh, you should listen to um, Beck's Sea Change record. It sound, it's like Nick Drake. It's, you can hear it all over the record. And I finally got a chance to listen to it uh, because in my small town, you, you this is back like you couldn't order CDs or anything like that. It was like you had to just like kind of wait till you, someone went to Winnipeg before you could like go to like <laughs> HMV or something like that. And um, yeah, and so then when I when I listened throughout the record, I, I I loved everything. And but just something really clicked when I listened to Round the Bend. And um, did you, you know, get the Nick Drake thing right away with it? Um, yeah, totally. I, I actually did. I, I did because uh, I could I could tell right away that there was open tunings, and I remember just trying to figure out what the tuning was, and I just like kept going lower and lower and lower, and then I finally found it. And and just for some reason, you know, when I whenever I would play that song alone, it would just kind of um, um, just like hitting those open chords, just like um, would put me in a trance. And I just I hadn't played music like that. And uh, and and to know that this person was putting out records still, I just from then from then on there, I just was always a, f- a fan of Beck. You know, the, he has some pretty weird records too, like that came out. But but I think that one was pretty strong and very like it, it showed how mature his songwriting can actually be. You know, not just like the kind of um, hip hop um, kind of wacky slacker rock stuff, you know, it's like, it showed like a different side of him, like a more intimate side and something about that. It was, it's not necessarily like 
the record, like, it's just like how Beck has transformed that really, um, um, I res- what resonated with me. And that's just kind of an artist that I want to be. I don't want to just like put out the same kind of stuff. I want to like uh, experiment and try out new things. When 
well, I was and I was just thinking that actually, as you were as you were saying that, that we talked in our pre-talk, Dave and I, about you know David Bowie's of the world and and the people like that who are you know chameleons uh, of music, and and I talked about Beck being one of those guys. So, and then you telling me uh, in our in our chat online that you were leaning to acoustic songs too. So it's like, yeah, you're you're wanting to be that guy too, right? That guy who's not just a one one trick pony. Yeah, and and I'm obviously gonna like um, still have like some shoegaze elements and stuff like that in this new record. But you know, I'm I'm working with um, Owen Pallet, and mm-hmm. we're we're creating like a, brand, a brand new kind of style too. You know, and like trying trying to push you know the the envelope. I think that's the saying. Yeah. And um, and yeah, so that's just like um, that's my influences, and that's that's like not necessarily like um, people don't really under doesn't translate to a lot of people. They just think that I'm something else. But I, a lot of my influences go into my music, and then it comes out as something else. And um, but that's the best. That's the best thing. It's just like people are yeah. like, yeah, I'm a huge David Bowie fan, but the guy's in a thrash metal band or something, right? something like that that's to me that to me is the best part it's like well you're clearly a music fan and you're listening but you your your creative output is coming out this way but you were clearly influenced by you know scary monsters or something by bowie or something like that right so uh, so yeah so yeah my going back to my question is it's like where does this come in where does sea change come into there it's like okay it's not just a sonic thing it's just what he was doing to create and you pull a lot of that in as well. Exactly, right. Exactly, exactly. Because I wouldn't be able to tell you anything about shoegaze music except for My Bloody Valentine. Well, you and you me know? both, brother. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, right? You know, because most of it is garbage. And, <laughs> you know, um, and that's just like, that's just me. That's my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I don't really know much about shoegaze music. I just somehow my influences together... Um, comes out as that but isn't that the cool that's the coolest thing about music right that's this and, and that's what we when we put together the show idea we thought yeah some people are going to pick albums that are really obvious and then other people are going to pick albums where we're like whoa and that's what we loved about this interview is being able to hear you say when i got that that text from you saying sea change i was like what sea change that's that's cool because it's not necessarily i think what people who know your music are going to think sea change like and then make that connection right so that's that's just awesome i think for people to hear and and, and kind of realize i mean we had it in another episode where you know ian blurton talked about being a fan of bob seeker and it was like what like so i, I love those sort of conversations with musicians where you find out kind of what's going on in the background that we don't really hear necessarily until you kind of yeah. dig a little deeper right i, I guess it's kind of like to say like um yeah, like like I wonder who Kevin Shields' influences were. You know, he, there was no shoegaze before him, but somehow it came out as shoegaze. You know. Yeah. I think he for sure. was listening to some other music, but he was really into pop music. Like you know, like really beautiful pop music, and you can hear it in those early shoegaze or those early My Bloody Valentine records, where it's like noise, but then these like very beautiful pop melodies over top of it. And well, and you got to wonder if that's like he, as a Glasgow Scottish kid. I mean, you've got such a weird eclectic cool music industry there with like, you know, teenage fan club doing pure pop primal scream doing like this, like sixties 
Rolling Stones wannabe R&B thing. Yeah. You've got My Bloody Valentine kind of doing their thing. You've got Mogwai. You have all these strange bands just kind of feeding off of each other. It's got to just be an amazing. And I mean, Hamilton's a bit like that too right now, right? Where you've got, I mean, you've got you and Ellis who kind of has, I'm not going to say she's a full shoegazer, but she's certainly got a, some, some of that shoegazer element to her that you hear in bands like uh, Tally's as well. And, um, and, and, and Ellis's main influence is Taylor Swift. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the way, her cover, her cover of Swift is, is fantastic. Uh, yeah. And then you have, but in, in Hamilton too, you've got like that gritty rock from people like Tom Wilson yeah. and you have the country ambience of like uh, white horse. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. just, and then wax mannequin, you've got like such a, a great artistic town, right. That you think, is that all bleeding into each other's influences and, and kind of making a, a really awesome stew of great music and out of the hammer right now? Definitely. Yeah. I moved to the hammer. I'm, I'm not currently living there anymore, but I lived there for three years and that's where I created bleached waves. Right. And, um, you know, I created it, um, not as soon as I moved there. It took, a, it took like a year and a half until I finally was found a rehearsal space and, and got money together to buy certain like a guitar i needed a guitar and then i found like a little digi pedal you know and that's all i really used to create the whole entire bleach Rice record um i just learned to kind of work with what i had and um, my biggest trick was i got this little digital delay pedal it's not they don't even really make them anymore they're they're like really terrible <laughs> but in the pedal itself you had like a, i think it was like a 10 second loop and and then a reverse option like a reverse reverb option and i just learned that if you if you put like uh if you looped a certain riff and put some like slide over top of it and then reverse that whole track you could come up with some really cool sounds like um the first track on bleached waves um is the same song um as a, it's a it's a song that i'm i'm releasing on this new album with owen Pallet, but all i did at, at the time when I was recording Bleached Waves, I had this riff, but then all I did was just reversed it. And then it, and then I put a, a drum track to it and it became like the opening track for Bleached Waves. So once, once I put out this new record, you can listen to it, the, the track, and you can compare it to the first track on um, Bleached Waves. That'd be Clouded Formations or Formations? Clouded Formations. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, ba- it's just a reverse thing that i learned how to do with this little tiny dinky pedal and it turned out to be like um you know a track but like people don't even they wouldn't know that unless i told you but that's i mean there's that diy coming through right that's uh what am i going to do and how am i going to do this with just myself and and a a digital pedal right (laughs) yeah exactly it was it was really challenging you know i only had like a couple hundred bucks and i was working like some really terrible jobs just like you know, cleaning up stuff and working at a factory and, and, um, and yes, but, uh, but you can, it was like the, from all that kind of, all, all those experiences and stuff I put into that record and, and, um, and yeah, it just, um, it came out as, as, you know, an experimental record. That's what, that's how I like to call it. Well, I think we call it a great record. It's a terrific yeah. record. It was one of my favorite records of last year. Uh, as you know, I've shared with you on Twitter I, I, how much I love this record. So thank you. it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. 
special thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. Thanks to Daniel Monkman or Zune for joining us this week on the show. Uh, make sure you go and grab his record and give it a listen uh, when you get a chance. And most importantly, thanks to you for listening to The Sound Effect. If you've enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media uh, and let us know what you think of the show. We are The Sound Effect on instagram sound underscore effect on twitter the sound effect podcast on facebook and sound effect podcast at gmail.com and remember there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered so keep listening